Bonjour, je m'appelle Paige Kathleen. Bienvenue à EC Tech Talk. Welcome to another episode of ECE Tech Talk, brought to you by the Bradley Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at Virginia Tech. I'm Dwan Wanjara. And I'm Maya Kirani, and we'll be your host for today. Our guest today is Paige Castellan, alumni of the Bradley Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at Virginia Tech, a former ECE ambassador and current member of the department's Industrial Advisory Board. She received her bachelor's in 2015, and she was the only American and only female engineer as well as the youngest member of the ground crew to help the world's first solar-powered airplane fly around the world. Her work with Solar Impulse landed her on the 2017 Forbes 30 Under 30 list in the energy category. It also kick-started her career as an advocate for women in STEM. After Solar Impulse, she worked to build a, a development strategies for materials used on autonomous vehicles, and she recently finished a Master's of Information Systems Management at Carnegie Mellon University while working at Metro 21, CMU Smart Cities Institute. Hello, Paige, and thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. So Paige, would you like to add anything to Duan's uh, introduction? Maybe something you'd like the listeners to listen to, or maybe just a fun fact. Yeah, so you guys um, did a great job at capturing some of the stuff that I've done since graduating from Virginia Tech. So I'd like to add a little bit more about what I was involved in um, during my four years there. So. Um, all of these activities really helped me prepare or prepare myself to take on these stretch assignments early in my career. So, um, as you mentioned, I was an ECE ambassador. I was the president of IEEE. I was on a design team called Project Ellie, where we sent a high altitude balloon up 100,000 feet in the air. Um, and then I was also the department's outstanding senior for 2015. Outside of um, just the ECE engineering community. I was a part of Tri-Delta Sorority and was the Vice President of Public Relations there. Of course, I participated in events like the big event, Relay for Life, and even attended some scuba diving um, club meetings at War Memorial Pool. So I'm probably one of the few people that has scuba dove. Yes, yeah, I don't know if that's the right past tense there, but I went diving in War Memorial Pool. So I think that's pretty funny. Yeah, that's pretty that's cool. awesome. Your resume is stacked up. <laughs> it absolutely is. All right. So we should move me, on to the questions. Right. So uh, as you mentioned, your, your four years at Virginia Tech were very eventful. How, do you, how would you describe your education experience for you? I had an amazing time at Virginia Tech. Um, I really, I don't know, I look back on the time with such great memories. I think it was a place where I grew up a lot and um, just found and learned that I have the potential to do so much with my career, right? I don't have to necessarily um, just wait for someone to tap me on the head and say, okay, now you're a leader. A lot of the things I did within the ECE department or even with my sorority or around Virginia Tech, I kind of found these problems or needs that needed to be solved. And instead of waiting for them to be solved, I would just find a way or find an organization that I could you know, help solve problems, because that's what engineering is, solving problems. 
Absolutely. So just to follow up, how do you think uh, graduating from Virginia Tech gave you an edge over your colleagues or peers? Mm -hmm. So I think one thing that everyone at Virginia Tech knows is it's a big community. So one thing that I feel we all understand is that we're constantly part of something bigger than ourselves, you know, so if it's us doing the big event or, um, you know, all of those other activities that bring the Hokie community together. Um, I still remember, you know, if you wear if I was wearing navy blue on a game day and walked outside, everybody would be, you know, who the heck is this person? It's like, you know, it's just you're part of this community. So and you want to be a part of it. So um, that's kind of a segue into I feel like that mentality of representing something bigger, bigger than yourself helped me a lot in my career. When I started my first job, um, you know, I already kind of felt, even though, again, no one tapped me on the head and said, you're an ambassador to this organization, but, you know, having that spirit of representing the company you're working for or representing any group that you're a part of, I think really helped me and allowed me to stand out among some of my peers whenever assignments like the Solar Impulse Project came up. So um, another thing I would want to say, so that was kind of more high level, um, a little bit I don't know, more out there, but something tangible, I think with the ECE department, um, I know with my capstone, so I did two capstone projects my senior year, and my teachers for both of those gave my team the freedom to lead the projects ourselves. So it wasn't necessarily like we were being babysat or you know, somebody was telling us what we should do. It was kind of us figuring that out and paving the way and allowing us to consult with our professors, of course, but I think having that responsibility at 21, 22 years old was definitely beneficial for whenever I was entering the real world. Sure, awesome. so actually this posed me on my next question. Why did you pick EC as a major? You described as the engineering uh, problem solving capabilities you had. Were you always interested in uh, some form of engineering? Yeah, so throughout, um, you know, growing up middle school, high school, Anytime I had a class project, I would take it to a crazy next level. So if I had to write a book report on something, I would somehow build an entire popsicle, um, popsicle structure that was a miniature greenhouse, or I just tried to find any way to take my projects to the next level. So that creativity and finding creative ways to solve problems was something that always I don't know, gave me that drive to mm -hmm. do more. And um, so I attended some engineering camps because I thought that maybe, you know, engineering could be a good fit. And I attended one at Virginia Tech. It's called C-Tech Squared. So I think it's computers and technology um, squared. <laughs> and that was a great opportunity where I was able to learn a lot about the different types of engineering offered at Virginia Tech. That's where I fell in love with Virginia Tech um, and really ECE. So I, you and you both know that whenever you're doing a project or writing a program and you could want to like bang your head against the computer over and over, but then once it works, you feel so powerful. Or when you're in the OPAL, um, you know, getting a circuit validated for the ECE department and your light bulb lights up, you just feel like a million bucks. And I was addicted to that feeling, and that's why I wanted to study ECE. 
Absolutely. So uh, if you were to do it all over again, would you do anything differently or would you stick to what you did? Hmm, that's a hard question. Um, I think the good thing is I wasted absolutely no time when I was at Virginia Tech. Like I told you, I was involved in a billion different activities. Um, I feel like my classmates all thought I was crazy with what I was involved in. But I think if I had to change one thing, um, looking back at my early years, I think I was a bit intimidated um, by, you know, things like computer programming. I never mm -hmm. programmed before when I took C++ um, my freshman year and then went into the computer engineering course. Um, I just remember thinking, this is so complex. I don't know if, you know, I could figure it out. And I think instead of just waiting and seeing if, I could do it or not. I kind of psyched myself out a little bit. So that's a message to, I guess, anybody that's in their first few um, years at Virginia Tech or first few classes in ECE. If you're feeling overwhelmed or if you feel like, you know, you're not sure if you could do something, don't let that stop you. You know, seek out help. There's, the professors are great. They all um, are so willing to help. So, yeah. That's a great transition into my um, next question. What was your favorite class at Virginia Tech? ECE, favorite class at Virginia Tech? So, um, and I know that I definitely told this professor this, but um, Dr. Bowman um, taught this class. It was microcontroller processing. Um, I can't remember what it's called right now, but it's kind of that second uh, level of computer engineering courses that EC, or that electrical engineering students have to take. Um, and I joke that my favorite and my least favorite class are always the same. And I know that makes me sound absolutely crazy or that I don't know what I'm talking about. But one of the things, again, going back to that problem solving and you're trying, you're banging your head against your computer. Um, but once you get to that solution and once you accomplish something you didn't think was possible, you feel so powerful and you feel so smart. So that was one of those courses that um, I was so happy to be done with, but I would be trying to fall asleep at night and then get an idea and then have to wake up and go on my computer and type some code and then try to fall asleep again. And just over and over, I, it was a class that kept me up because I was just so excited to keep chipping away at the problem. Was that Absolutely. the class where you um, programmed the launch pad and the booster pack? Um, yes, I think so. Yeah, it's embedded, called systems. embedded systems now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we nice. took it last semester and definitely a really fun class. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you want to answer this, but who is your favorite professor at Virginia Tech? Hmm. Okay. So that's, that's a challenging one too, but, um, and this might be a little bit of a long answer because I really just, the department I think really made my experience and really helped me, um, you know, set the stage properly for my career. So I'm a big believer that support is, so important whenever you're, um, you know, predicting someone's success. So I had a great support system in the engineering department, um, the ECE department. I would say Jaime Delaray um, is one of my favorite professors. We still talk today. Um, every time I'm down at Virginia Tech, I make sure to um, have a dinner with him or go see him and his family. So um, him for sure. And then also, Dr. Bowman, I would say, because of my experience, um, you know, with my microcontrollers course. And I still remember, I think I went to his office hours one time and 
we were trying to figure out something and he asked me, okay, well, explain to me how you write a for loop, you know, like a simple for loop in computer programming. And my mind just went blank. And like, that is so embarrassing to say right now. But, you know, if anybody on this is going to see Dr. Bowman anytime soon, tell him that after my um, CMU career in programming, I have gotten way better at, um, you know, writing for loops and going way beyond that because that's like step one. But um, I think, again, one of those moments where a professor could have said, you know, Paige, maybe this isn't the subject for you, or maybe you should try a different type of engineering. You know, he helped me through it. And um, I also want to just give three more shout outs. These will be quick, but um, Dr. Centennio and Gino Manzo, um, they were both my capstone teachers. So talking about having that freedom and being empowered at a young age to, you know, just go out solve and work problems. with, yeah, solve problems, work with the company. Um, and the last one I wanted to say was on um, Dushan Borkovich, where I just saw him last year and we were reminiscing about how he took our class to talk for the last lecture, you know, the ones that were over 21. So, you know, the thing I love about Virginia Tech is that the faculty isn't necessarily just, you know, this distant person that doesn't want to get involved with your life at all. Like they care so much about you. Um, and the advisors as well. So Mary Brewer, I'm very close with. I talk to her all the time. And um, even some of the new advisors that have come on, like Kimberly, Nicole, Susan. Um, I just think the department's fabulous. <laughs> we definitely agree. Um, so a same question, but not easy. Your favorite class and your favorite professor? Mm. So I am also um, a big believer in never just taking a course because it's an easy A or, um, yeah, because, you know, you only have a limited time to learn um, and have all of these classes available to you. So I took um, an intro to sci-fi course. I took um, a course that was minority group relations. That was very interesting. Um, I also took business French, um, which really helped me whenever I was working with a team that only spoke French. Um, I only took French for, or I took French for eight years growing up, but having that extra experience at Virginia Tech definitely helped. Um, I don't, I'm trying to think of who my favorite professor non-ECE would be. Um, I don't know. I just think, again, any faculty member that treats you as a person and tries to get to know you and is invested in your learning is someone that really empowers me to work harder as a student. That was a great answer. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think you uh, might have a lot of great memories from Virginia Tech from what you've described, but what, what's your fondest memory? What's your favorite memory being at Virginia Tech? Mm. There are so many and that's the hard thing. It's, um, you know, and so many that are, kind of in different aspects. So if it's with my sorority or if it's um, Relay for Life, but I would say that something that was definitely really special is that my senior year in ECE, um, my group of classmates and I really spent a lot of time, um, you know, outside of the classroom getting to know each other. So I think a lot of times whenever you're working on schoolwork, you can be I guess, so zoned into that, that you forget that these are people that you're spending every single day with. So I was glad that my senior year, we took the time to hang out just as friends because 
when you're away at college, you're spending 24-7 with people and um, especially working in the EC lounge or on design teams, it's just, it's fun to like build those personal connections too. So is it true that senior year is the most fun year of your college experience? Hmm. I think, I think each year came with a lot of different things. I feel my, by the time I was in my senior year, I think I had the confidence to, um, you know, take things a step further. Um, so as I had mentioned before, problem solving. So my, um, friends and I that were a part of IEEE and ECE ambassadors, when we would hear somebody say, oh, I wish the department did this, or it would be so beneficial for my career if engineering offered that. And so instead of just, you know, stopping the conversation there, the IEEE officers and I would just say, okay, well, how can we make this work? And I think that that was a pretty unique experience because again, when you're a student, you still feel kind of like a kid and you feel like you're waiting for someone else to open doors for you or, um, you know, again, build up these um, events or organizations. But my senior year, I felt like we were empowered to do that stuff on our own. And I was glad that the teachers and um, faculty were all really supportive of us just taking on this initiative. Because, um, you know, some people could say, like, what are you guys doing? Why are you putting together one of an example of this was um, we put on a solar panel Pinewood Derby for the Blacksport, Blacksburg Cub Scouts. So mm -hmm. that was just like something totally random. Jaime Delaray said, hey, this would be cool to do. And we said, let's make it happen. So I feel like we built a lot of memories through experiences that we created. Absolutely. Awesome. That was a great answer. So what was your career step after Virginia Tech? What did you do right after graduation? Mm -hmm. During my time at Virginia Tech, I had three internships. Um, and my last one was with a chemical company um, that was part of Bayer, um, the pharmaceutical company, but more on the material science side. So I was working as an engineer in Houston, Texas for the chemical plant. Um, that company then spun off um, the material science division spun off into a company called Covestro, and that's where I accepted my first role. And I still kind of remember um, talking through this decision with some of my teachers, and they were thinking, Paige, this doesn't, this doesn't necessarily seem like the step we expected for you. Um, you know, people thought, why am I not working with a tech company out in California? And I said, I remember telling them, I just said, something feels right. I feel like this company sees the potential I can bring. They're going to help me grow. They're going to give me great opportunities. Um, I feel like this is the fit. And it was a great move because Covestro ended up being one of the material suppliers for Solar Impulse 2, which was the world's first solar-powered airplane to fly around the world. And eight months into my first career, um, or eight months into my job there, they were looking for an electrical engineer who has some experience public speaking, which I got from being um, the vice president of public relations for my sorority and some experience with French. So all of these three things, I just happened to be in a company that was looking for someone to step into that role. Um, and I applied and then got an opportunity of a lifetime for an electrical engineer. That's very, very interesting. Um, so what exactly was the, the solar impulse opportunity? 
So um, since I mentioned that the company I was working for was a material supplier for the project, they were allowed to send one electrical engineer to be embedded onto the team and travel around the world, work as an electrical engineer for the project um, until the mission was done in Abu Dhabi. So the plane started in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates and flew across Asia to um, Hawaii and then across the United States, Spain, Egypt, and back to Abu Dhabi. Um, the mission of this project, so I guess I might have to backtrack a little bit because these things are also similar, familiar to me, but for someone new to the project, it could be kind of confusing. But this project was a plane that could fly day and night only using the power of the sun. So it was um, only a one-seater airplane, which is kind of crazy. So one person would fly this massive airplane that was, the wingspan was about 200 and I think it was about 250 feet. So like two basketball courts side by side, um, but then this tiny little cockpit for just one person. Um, and the reason for this, it was the plane um, had solar cells along the wings and it would also act as a glider at night. So um, the huge wingspan really helped. And so this plane would make stops around the world to help educate people about what alternative energy, um, what the capabilities of alternative energy are. Um, the last thing I'll say really about this is that the thing that was so interesting is that a lot of people said this project was impossible. People said there is no way you can fly day and night only using the power of the sun and fly around the world. But having the right team of people that believed in the project, donated the materials that made the project possible, um, allowed you know this team to achieve the impossible, and that was a great experience to have, really, in my first job, basically out of college. Absolutely. So this brings me to my next question: uh, What were the biggest challenges you faced uh, in this project? So there was a range of challenges, I would say, and some challenges that I didn't necessarily expect. So I knew that the technical challenges would definitely be something that um, come into play. We were doing something that had never been done before. So, you know, I'm just a few months or I guess less than a year out of college. And I was working on a project where there were no answers in the back of the textbook. There wasn't even a textbook at that point for what we were doing. Um, so trying to figure out um, how to break a larger problem into smaller problems um, to achieve a goal is really one of the technical challenges I, I think I faced. Um, I also feel like I faced a lot of personal challenges. So just that feeling of, you know, am I really ready to be doing something like this? I think I ask myself every minute of every day because, um, you know, just being kind of fresh out of school and not applying my skills to as many real world situations and then having to jump into action and be an expert on something was something that was challenging for me. So I did a lot of research at night um, to make sure that I was up to speed on some of the technical um, terms going on. And then I also think another aspect I would say is just social or um, you yeah, I guess the social challenges. So I was the only American on this team and I was trying to utilize some of my French language skills, but 
Um, what I learned, of course, is that there's a big difference between what you learn where it's kind of something like, oh, where is the shopping center? Or I want to order a pizza versus hand me that screwdriver for the tire of this solar powered airplane. You know, you don't learn those, those terms when you're learning a second language. So um, I felt like I was always, or I was only operating at 30% really. And I was just like, oh, I have all this knowledge I would love to share. And that challenge of figuring out a way to, um, you know, share my knowledge and make connections with people on the team um, was something I learned a lot over those six months. That's really awesome. So how did this project um, help you land on the Forbes 30 under 30 list? So the Forbes 30 under 30 list was definitely one of those heart-dropping moments. Um, I remember, so my freshman year, I lived in Slusher Hall. And um, I remember, oh yeah, there we go. Uh, I remember that my mom had sent me, um, I guess a copy of the Forbes 30 under 30 list, the first list that came out in 2012. And I remember reading it and thinking like, wow, these people are all doing such cool things. Um, that would be awesome to make someday. But you know, how do you connect the dots and get there? Um, and really until my time working with Solar Impulse, it was kind of like I, you know, I knew the list existed and I thought it was amazing, but I kept it in the back of my mind just as something, you know, a stretch goal that you're never sure if you would achieve. Um, and when I was working on the project and I had the opportunity to share my story with so many different media outlets and I guess I didn't really ever think I, that, I don't know, I would be able to be a part of something that was so... I guess, game changing for the energy industry. So whenever I made the list, it was just this crazy feeling where I felt like I was being taken back to my um, freshman dorm and flusher and just thinking like, wow, like I would have never been able to predict any of this for my career. That's really sweet. Um, so after you entered industry, why did you choose to go back and pursue a master's? Mm -hmm. So after Solar Impulse, I... Um, it was funny because so many people said, are you ever, or how do you think you're ever going to top this in your career? And I was kind of like, okay, thanks guys for reminding me. Right. <laughs> um, but when you're 23 years old, you definitely don't want to um, have peaked in your career. And the good thing was that right when I was coming back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, it was right whenever um, Uber started testing their self-driving cars. So the company I was working for, Cabestro, um, they sold a good portion of their materials into the automotive industry and they wanted to figure out, okay, if cars stop crashing, like where, how are we going to replace those material sales for paint? You know, those different questions. So how can we build materials today that will be prepared to, or that will be prepared to take on some of the new demands for autonomous vehicles or ride sharing vehicles, electric vehicles? And this was fun. It was a completely ambiguous problem. And even though it wasn't hooking up any circuits or anything, it was still um, problem solving and trying to figure out, all right, we have two things that seem totally unrelated. How do we build that path? And that led me to get my master's at Carnegie Mellon because so many people said like, material self-driving cars, this doesn't make sense. But the thing I learned is that all industries have to be thinking of these 
blind spots that they might face with this emerging technology. So things like big data, machine learning, artificial intelligence, there are all these terms that organizations talk about, but I've found that not everybody understands how they can be incorporated into their business models. So my goal was to go and take some courses in artificial intelligence and in big data and figure out what it means. And then now my goal is to help companies, um, you know, connect the dots for them. Awesome. So Absolutely. Uh, I would like to add a small message from like talking to you. I feel like your, your life is a perfect example of like why one should follow their gut decisions, like, and not follow like success. Like you said, you didn't go and join a tech company because you thought that it would be a great opportunity to join the chemical field in Houston. But this was awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I would say just to elaborate on that. Absolutely. I think that every decision you make should definitely be about following your passions, following your instincts, um, and doing things because you feel like you should do them rather than that's what everyone's telling you to do. Um, absolutely. Yeah. That's very inspiring messages here. Um, so any plans to pursue a PhD, maybe enter academia, maybe return to Virginia tech as a professor? So I, um, yeah, I've definitely thought about it and it will be interesting to see, um, you know, the journey of if I ever, um, you know, start a PhD program, but it's funny because whenever I graduated in 2015, I thought, okay, in five years, I'll get an MBA. And as I was approaching this five year mark, and as I was starting to realize that there's this huge gap in understanding how um, these high tech, you know, or these new emerging technologies can be applied to businesses, I realized that my passion totally falls in more of the tech field. So I found this great program that allowed me to do a little bit of both, um, you know, learn artificial intelligence, but also learn a little bit of finance and econ. I think that, um, you know, once I feel that other gut feeling that it's time to get a PhD, um, I definitely would welcome that. And it's funny too, I, you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but you know, I have my five year, my 10 year, my 30 year goals. And definitely when I'm looking out 30 years from now, I would love the opportunity to be a part of the ECE department at Virginia Tech. Um, I've already started thinking, okay, well, a lot of the jobs require a PhD in electrical or computer engineering, but I think that a job that Gino Manzo had, um, I'm not sure if he still has this job, but when I was there, he led the two semester senior design capstone where you partnered up with um, different companies. So um, yeah, I don't know. I'll see if my journey takes me back to Virginia Tech, but I definitely would love that opportunity. Yeah, that would make for a very sweet movie. Um, <laughs> that was great. All right, uh, let's move to the societal aspect of this uh, podcast. Uh, what does being a woman in ECE mean to you? Yeah, so just as I mentioned before with uh, Virginia Tech and being a part of something bigger than yourself, I really feel as being a woman in STEM and woman in ECE that I'm also representing that group of people. Um, and I love being a woman in STEM. I think um, I would joke sometimes, you know, if I ever skipped classes uh, at Virginia Tech, everybody would probably notice. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it definitely made me accountable. But I think 
One of the things that people don't necessarily think about there, though, is that you have an automatic presence. So, um, you know, a lot of times people were watching different things I was doing, so I couldn't, so I, again, had to step up and be um, a representative for this group of people, which some people could um, think is not that, you know, more of a burden, but I thought that was a great opportunity. If I can have that automatic presence, um, why not? So what would be the biggest challenge you face as a woman in STEM? So I think um, one of the challenges I would say is sometimes people don't set high enough expectations. So I would say that can be a challenge, especially when limiting or whenever people are you know, pursuing the degree. And if people don't expect them to succeed or if people don't expect them to get a great grade on a test, um, the person can feel that and then that could potentially discourage them from pursuing the degree. So I still remember um, there was one time when I ended up getting like a 92% on an electronics test, which was amazing. I, you know, I was just like, wow, that um, was a big accomplishment for me because sometimes I don't feel like I'm the best test taker. And I remember one of my friends told me that there was a rumor going around that like people thought, oh, somehow I cheated or I had all of the answers on my formula sheets. So I just got lucky. And I was like, come on, guys. Like, what? why couldn't it ever be that, oh, Paige just was smart or she studied really hard. <laughs> and so, and honestly, I think this goes for men and women, but a lot of times when we look at someone that's doing something awesome, if it's getting that 92 on an electronic test, if it's flying a solar powered airplane around the world, um, you can think, you kind of jump to those conclusions. Oh, that was handed to them. That person just got lucky or, oh, they just sat around and like someone else did the work and they talked about it. But I think we kind of have to take a step back um, and just realize that, you know, luck of course comes into play with a lot of these things, but you have to also assume that people put in work to get there. Um, and so I would say like, if I had to give a piece of advice, um, when you're talking to your classmates, men, women, um, definitely compliment them and say, wow, like you worked so hard on that assignment or wow, like you really came up with an innovative idea. I don't think, I think sometimes we're scared to, um, you know, give those compliments because we think that it's going to make us look less smart ourselves or something. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what do you think is a, is an important or a substantial way we can recruit more females into ECE? We're trying, you know, I think the department is spending a lot of effort to try and include more diversity in the department. Do you have any uh, suggestions as students or as listeners that we can make any changes we can do that would encourage more inclusivity and diversity? in the department. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would first say, um, especially for women, just don't, um, you know, don't listen to people who tell you that something is hard. We all have our own capacity for handling work. And I really don't think that we should limit ourselves based on what someone thinks we can or cannot accomplish. So um, that would be advice for women, but advice for everyone, including um, faculty, staff, um, 
really have those high expectations for what everyone in the department can accomplish, you know? Definitely hold everyone to the same standards um, and be that support system for people. So again, as I talked about with Dr. Bowman, he could have said, you know, Paige, I don't know if this program's the right program for you. You're struggling with this for loop. Um, but, you know, he didn't. He taught me and said, you can do this. And I think that's so powerful. So we have to definitely, um, you know, be that support system to get more women in STEM. I think that's a great call Absolutely. for action. And I think we can wrap up our technical uh, set of questions here and maybe start more on the games with you that we have prepared for you today. So first, yes. we'd like to ask um, all our guests for any recommendations of um, literature or art or entertainment, however they're uh, pursuing or consuming content right now. What Do you have any recommendations for us or the listeners today? Hmm. I would say um, one of the things, this maybe is a little bit um, not directly what you were talking about, but one of the things I love to do is um, attend conferences that are not necessarily just engineering conferences, but so every year I attend the Forbes 30 under 30 conference um, and talking and networking with people that are doing something completely different than what I'm doing is a great eye opener to how many um, unmet needs there are in the world. So, you know, I was talking to somebody who was putting together a proposal working with NASA to 3D print houses on Mars. And, you know, I thought, wow, I had no idea. Like that is not even in the realm of what I do on my day to day. So I would say not even just focusing on literature or um, different videos that people can watch, but just get out there and talk with people that are doing things that are totally different than what you're involved in because it can expand your horizons, teach you a lot, and help you approach problems in a different way. Absolutely. Uh, so how are you spending your time um, during this pandemic? Is there anything you're doing that's very productive? So um, I just finished up my master's, so I was taking a little bit of a break. I um, had a lot of hardcore programming projects at the end. So um, one thing, though, this is kind of different. I like I own my own house in Pittsburgh and I'm big into do-it-yourself projects. So I'm sitting at a dining room table that I built out of reclaimed wood. My chandelier I also built. Um, I installed my own patio. Um, yeah, I do a lot of those projects of, you know, how, to, how can I make something? How can I use my engineering skills to um, apply them to real world things? So I've been doing a lot of that stuff. Awesome. Um, what's your guilty pleasure? Maybe a Netflix movie you're binging or something you crave to eat mm. every other day? Gosh, I, um, I don't know if I've ever answered a question about my guilty pleasure, but um, I would say, so my friends from Virginia Tech all know that I love quesadillas. So I, you know, if anybody ever said, let's go to Owen's, I was like, yep, I'm getting a quesadilla. <laughs> if it was Cabo fish taco, I was getting a quesadilla. So, um, yeah, I would say maybe quesadillas. Sweet, sweet. So I think this actually uh, is a great segue into our next game. It's a rapid-fire game of this or that questions, Virginia Tech-related this or that questions. So an example would be, I guess this is not rapid-fire, but D2 or Owens? Owens. Sharkies or Tots? Sharkies. Nice. 
Do you have anything else, Mike? Do you have any other questions? Um, no. Uh, you can continue. Yeah, sure. Uh, McComas or War Memorial? Hmm. I think McComas. Okay. Uh, sure. Night. Go ahead. Slusher or Pritchard? Ooh. Well, I never lived in Pritchard, so definitely Slusher. Uh, go Slusher, baby. Okay. What's your go-to place to study on campus? A library mm -hmm. or a new classroom building? So I, um, I definitely hung out a lot at the ECE lounge um, or even in the design studio since I was part of some of the different projects. I was able to go down there and utilize some of those tables when no one was working. Um, yeah. So duck pond or drill field? Mm, I would say um, the duck pond because I lived in the sorority houses for two years that were right by the duck pond. So always good memories. Nice. Uh, Duncan or Starbucks? Ooh, I don't Oh, I would say Starbucks. I don't know if I actually, this is interesting. I never drank coffee until my senior year at Virginia Tech. Um, and so I, did, I told you a little bit about how I had two capstone projects. One was working with Intel for semiconductors, and then the other was kind of one that Dr. Centennial let me build myself, where I um, created a partnership with Gilbert Lincas Elementary School and the Virginia Tech ECE department to go in and teach students or like electricity for their science course in fourth grade. And only after dealing with like 20 students three times a day did I need coffee, which <laughs> I just have such great appreciation for teachers that can do that all day, every day. I was dead after just three classes. That's a very funny story. Uh, I have one more. Uh, all nighter before an EC exam or sleep early and wake up early? Oh, sleep early and wake up early for sure. I, I think I pulled one all nighter at Virginia Tech and I think it was just to get that D2 breakfast in the morning. My friends convinced me if we stayed up, we would go do the brunch. Um, yeah, I'm definitely a sleeper and then early riser. Awesome. Um, a kickback with your friends over the weekend or go out and party? Hmm. I don't know if I want to answer that one. <laughs> no, I think, um, I think one of the things that was great is you're surrounded by people that are all in your age uh, range and there's just so much to do in Blacksburg. It's funny because people say, you know, a rural college campus, what is there to do? But I definitely think, um, yeah, I explored a lot. One last one, uh, CMU or Virginia Tech? Ooh, that's a hard one too. But I mean, I think that, so I was at Carnegie Mellon for just 12 months um, and True. kind of cut short because of coronavirus too. But Virginia Tech is always going to, have like a huge spot in my heart um i was so excited to talk with you both today i mean if virginia tech asked me to do anything i'd like jump off a cliff and say yes <laughs> so i um i don't know i'm forever a hokey uh, that's a great way to end this podcast um i would like to give you this opportunity to uh wrap up your message to the to the listeners any inspirational thing you have to say to our listeners this is your opportunity I would just say that, you know, the four years at Virginia Tech are such an incredible time and you have so many opportunities right in front of you. So don't pass any of them up. Don't be scared to take them because you think you're going to be too busy. Um, people told me all the time, you know, Paige, once our classes get harder, 
Um, there's no way you're going to be able to be involved in all of these crazy activities. But instead of telling someone like, oh, watch me, go find the people that will support you and push you to do more. And I found that with the ECE department um, and my friends. So just surround yourself by those strong people. And yeah, you can rock the world with that degree from Virginia Tech. So go do it. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much for being here, Paige. We hope the listeners enjoy this podcast. And if you do, please follow us. Thank you. Thank you for being here.